From the stuff your mother never told you to the stuff your doctor never learned, On Health is what happens when a midwife plus a Yale-trained MD shares about all things women's health, from periods to menopause, sex to reproductive health politics, motherhood to mental health. Join me for taboo-busting conversations that demystify and destigmatize our bodies, all while bridging the gap between conventional medicine and wellness. Along the way, we'll be exploring the science and wisdom of how our bodies work, what makes us well, what gets in the way, and how we can live our best lives on our terms. When it comes to women's health and well-being, there's nothing we won't talk about. The new medicine for women is here. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Welcome to the podcast. Fatigue, achy muscles, painful joints, brain fog, strange skin rashes. Could it be the flu? It's possible. In fact, that's what women are sometimes told. But if it's not flu season and symptoms have been going on for a while, the flu is highly unlikely. And in fact, these can all be symptoms of an autoimmune condition. Not to be scary, but in my medical practice of Eva Women's Health, I've seen countless women who have struggled for years with autoimmune condition-related symptoms, only to be dismissed, disbelieved, disregarded, and discounted. So please make sure to listen all the way through to the end to make sure this never happens to you. And please make sure to share this episode with as many women as you can, and practitioners too. Because as you're about to learn, unlike in the past, autoimmune conditions are not uncommon at all. And they can have major consequences on our health and well-being and should never be overlooked. You've no doubt heard the term autoimmune disease or autoimmune condition, but what does this really mean? Let's dive into autoimmune diseases 101. We all have immune systems. These are the defense mechanisms in the form of cells like T-cells, lymphocytes, cytokines, and others meant to protect us from infection injury, and even high levels of stress. They're also involved in numerous other functions. For example, in pregnancy, our immune system shifts to protect a growing embryo from being seen by your body as a foreign invader. And as we learned in COVID, our immune system is a powerful ally that we want functioning in top shape. But unfortunately, sometimes things can go awry. And that is the case with autoimmune disease. Autoimmune diseases occur when the body's immune system mistakenly attacks its own cells and tissues and other cells and tissues throughout the body. This can lead to pathological changes and dysfunction of the tissue that is the target of the immune attack. It's like friendly fire, which isn't too friendly. Over 100 different autoimmune diseases have been identified. They can be systemic or they can affect specific organs or body systems, including the endocrine or hormonal system, the gastrointestinal, rheumatologic, and nervous systems. The most common autoimmune diseases include lupus, multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, type 1 diabetes, celiac disease, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, and if you have one autoimmune disease, you're more likely to develop another. And within these autoimmune diseases, many body systems can be impacted, including your heart, your joints, your brain, and more. 
autoimmune disease is on the rise in the U.S. and the developed world. In the U.S., it's estimated that more than 50 million people have an autoimmune condition, while 8 million more have autoantibodies, the antibodies that attack our own cells. And about 25% of people with autoimmune disease have multiple autoimmune conditions at once. While some autoimmune diseases are more common in men, most are more common in women. In fact, women account for approximately 80% of all people who suffer from these conditions. The gender gap varies depending on the particular autoimmune disease. For example, the ratio of women to men affected is 3 to 1 in rheumatoid arthritis, 6 to 1 in lupus, 9 to 1 in Sjogren's disease, and 10 to 1 in Hashimoto's thyroiditis. This is not a small or marginal issue. While autoimmune disease isn't usually fatal, many are associated with reduced life expectancy and in women under 65, they're now the fifth leading cause of death. And importantly, they're also a significant cause of discomfort and disability. Further, delays in diagnosis and treatment, which are more common in women with autoimmune diseases, can increase disability and mortality rates. And getting diagnosed with an autoimmune disease can be difficult. According to a survey by the Autoimmune Association, individuals eventually diagnosed with a serious autoimmune disease saw an average of four different medical doctors over a four-year period before being correctly diagnosed. Many were misdiagnosed with a variety of conditions that have no specific blood tests to confirm the disease. Some were told that their symptoms were in their heads, or they were under too much stress. And about 45% of them had been labeled as, get this, chronic complainers, or were told that they were overly concerned with their health in the earliest stages of their illnesses. Believing women is an important first step in addressing the gender gap in autoimmune disease and in understanding the mechanisms that underlie this sex difference. And that's really important because it may lead to better prevention and treatment options. So why do women have a higher risk of developing autoimmune disease? We've actually known for over a century that this is the case, and science is still figuring out exactly why. So what are the leading hypotheses on why women are so much more susceptible to autoimmune conditions than men? As with so many medical conditions, particularly those for which science still says, we just don't know, The answers lie not in some smoking gun, but in the multifactorial origins that underlie so many modern chronic diseases. With autoimmunity, research points to a combination of genetic, hormonal, and environmental factors that interact to trigger the onset of an autoimmune condition. And although the data in support of these hypotheses is mixed, partly due to lack of research attention to these conditions that do primarily impact women, as is so common, there are some leading theories, and they may all play some role in autoimmunity. So let's take a look at each of these. I'm not going to cover all of the factors that cause autoimmune conditions. What I'm focusing on today is those factors that make us as women more susceptible to developing them. So let's start with our immune system. 
We laugh about the man flu. And I actually had a patient who was pregnant whose husband told me, in all sincerity, that he heard labor wasn't that hard. In fact, it's just like men having the flu, to which I had to inform him, much to his confusion, that man flu is a joke. But it's not just a joke that we seem to cope better with illness. On a biological level, women actually generally do have stronger immune systems than men. This serves us well in so many ways, including better outcomes and survival from infections, injuries, and sepsis compared to men. Women generally have higher levels of antibodies than men, which means we also develop higher antibody responses to vaccinations than men. We also have lower rates of cancers than men, perhaps because our immune system is better at keeping cancer cells in check. But our stronger immune responses may come at a cost, particularly in the context of a modern milieu of potentially triggering exposures and factors associated with the development of autoimmune disease. Our more robust immune response may partly be responsible for our greater tendency toward developing autoimmune conditions. But why? One theory around women and autoimmunity centers on the X chromosome. Most women have two X chromosomes, while most men have an X and a Y chromosome. Cis women's second X chromosome is usually deactivated, but we now know that as many as 30% of the genes on the, quote, inactive X are actually known to escape inactivation. As it happens, there are many genes involved in the immune response on the X chromosome. So the theory is that women's immune response differs from men because we have multiple copies of certain immune genes, essentially telling our bodies to make twice the amount of certain immune-related proteins compared with levels in men. Some animal research supports this theory. Mice with two X chromosomes develop autoimmunity more frequently than do XY mice, even when all the mice are engineered to have the same sex organs and the same sex hormones. And human research substantiates this. Men with a genetic syndrome in which they have an extra X chromosome develop lupus at rates similar to women. Some research has even identified a particular X-linked gene that might increase the risk of lupus when it's not deactivated. Meanwhile, women who have three X chromosomes are more likely than other women to develop lupus and Sjogren's syndrome. When it comes to X chromosomes, we naturally also turn our attention to an associated factor, sex hormones. Indeed, some of the earliest theories to explain the sex differences in immunity and autoimmunity have focused exactly on this. Sex hormones like estrogen, progesterone, and even testosterone play an important role in the immune system, influencing the expression of a number of genes involved in immunity. The actions of estrogen both improve and worsen autoimmune conditions, while progesterone and androgens like testosterone are anti-inflammatory and immunosuppressive, which is generally beneficial in autoimmune disease. And even the hormone prolactin, which is involved in labor and late pregnancy, 
may play a role in triggering a rare immune response in which breastfeeding women develop hives as an allergic reaction to breastfeeding. The idea that sex hormones are a key factor in autoimmune disease also makes sense given that for many women, autoimmune diseases often develop or flare during major hormonal transitions like puberty, postpartum, and menopause when levels of estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone change dramatically. Women also report symptom exacerbation premenstrually when progesterone and estrogen are dramatically dropping. The use of oral contraceptives and hormonal treatments in response to menopause may also be exacerbating factors for some women, and some women who are on oral contraceptives develop autoimmune conditions of the gut that occur in response to taking hormonal contraception. Some hormonal shifts, though, also lead to an abatement of symptoms, and pregnancy is a prime example of this. Pregnancy is actually an especially interesting area when it comes to autoimmune disease. It's a time in which changes in the immune system occur that may protect against or reduce the symptoms of autoimmune disease. For example, rheumatoid arthritis and multiple sclerosis tend to go into remission during pregnancy, although there can be flare-ups postpartum. Lupus, however, often gets worse during pregnancy. Prolactin, which is elevated postpartum and during pregnancy, is pro-inflammatory and, as I mentioned, cannot only affect the immune system, it tends to worsen autoimmune diseases. In 2019, researchers put forward the pregnancy compensation hypothesis, which proposes that there's an evolutionary reason for these sex differences in immune response that's rooted in the fact that women can get pregnant. Cis women's immune systems have a unique challenge that cis men's do not. During pregnancy, we must grow a genetically distinct human in our bodies without our immune systems attacking it as if it were a foreign body. So the theory goes, perhaps women's immune systems evolved differently to respond to these complicated immune requirements during pregnancy to tolerate the fetus and placenta while compensating in order to still fight off pathogens like viruses and bacteria that we might be exposed to while we're pregnant. It seems that in order to do this, women's immune systems ramp up and down at different stages of pregnancy. During the first trimester, inflammation increases as the placenta grows new blood vessels. Then immunity drops during the second trimester and then increases again in the third trimester as birth approaches. According to the pregnancy compensation hypothesis, women's immune systems evolved over millennia to perform well in the presence of fetus and placenta. But in modern cultures today, we're not pregnant as frequently as were our ancestors. We also tend to get pregnant later in life rather than in those teen and early 20s years. The fact that we thus don't have as frequent exposure to a placenta modulating our immune response leads to an overactive immune system that's at increased risk of tipping into autoimmune disease. There's another theory though. This one suggests that women's ability to get pregnant raises the risk of autoimmune disease. During pregnancy, there's an exchange of cells between mother and fetus. 
after birth, most of these cells are cleared, but we know that some fetal cells can persist in the mother's body for years after pregnancy. I personally love this theory. And for me, it's one of those kind of spiritual awarenesses that for me partly explains why as mothers we're so sensitized to our little ones. And maternal cells can also persist in our children into their adulthood. This phenomenon of mothers carrying fetal cells and children carrying maternal cells is called microchimerism. The theory goes that over time, these foreign cells can provoke an immune system response that raises the risk of autoimmune disease. This is one more explanation for women's higher risk of autoimmune disease than men. While all of us, men and women, face the risk of retaining our mother's cells when we're born, women also face the risk of retaining their offspring's cells during any pregnancies, giving women more chances to develop microchimerism than men. Environmental factors also play a role, and sadly, each of us is exposed to a plethora of environmental factors, including industrial, agricultural, and other chemicals daily. The estimated number of such chemicals exceeds 80,000, and that doesn't even take into account the fact that those chemicals then also interact with each other in our environment and within our bodies. PFAS and other numerous forever chemicals have a well-established role on our immune and endocrine systems, which as you've now learned, are both involved in the development of autoimmune conditions. We know that exposure to various environmental factors plays a role in triggering autoimmune diseases in a variety of ways, including direct damage to cells in our immune system and creating conditions for chronic overwhelming inflammation that may predispose us to autoimmune responses. And for so many reasons, from the number of products we use to the number of household and industrial cleaners we handle, women have much higher levels of exposure to most of these toxins than men. And because we have more fat cells than men, we store them and release them into our bodies over time, all of which may also explain women's higher rates of autoimmune diseases compared to men. You might not have heard this before, but stress is also defined as an environmental toxin and one that's associated with higher risks of developing autoimmune conditions because of the impact of stress on our immune response. And the data is clear. From greater emotional load to higher risks and experiences of workplace and also sexual trauma and domestic violence, hormonal changes throughout our life cycles to greater burden from the bearing and care of children to the care of elders, which often happens simultaneously, particularly during our menopausal years when hormones also place it more us at more risk of developing autoimmune conditions, women experience more measurable, objective life stress than men. And we may also react more significantly to stress on a biological level, and stress affects us at multiple levels of our body systems, not just our nervous and immune systems, but our endocrine or hormonal systems. So when our hormones are off, again, as I talked about earlier, this can increase our risk of autoimmunity. So all of these factors explain our increased susceptibility. 
And here's another interesting fact that you might think of as nutritional, and it is, but it's also environmental, vitamin D deficiency. Deficiency in this nutrient, which is actually a hormone, has been linked to many autoimmune conditions. And here's where the environmental factor comes in. Men generally tend to get more sun exposure than women. And despite the correlation between vitamin D deficiency and autoimmunity and the high rate of autoimmune disease amongst women, checking vitamin D levels to make sure they're adequate is not part of routine conventional women's health screening. It is in my practice because it's so important and I believe it should be across the board. One more factor that just never ceases to amaze me and astonish me with its far-reaching impact into so many aspects of our health and our immunity is, drum roll please, our microbiome. Our microbiome health plays a role in our immune responses before we're even born, determining what we're tolerant to in our environment and how our immune system shapes around those tolerances. New research into the role that the microbiome plays in immunity suggests that sex differences in autoimmunity risk may partly arise from a complex interaction between our sex hormones and our gut bacteria. While this research is still in its infancy, some rodent studies have shown that changing the gut microbiome of female mice prone to autoimmune disease could lower their risk. Given that women experience so many more digestive problems than men, particularly irritable bowel syndrome, which is a result of dysbiosis or disturbance in the gut microbiome, and other factors that we're exposed to, like more frequent antibiotics, because we're more likely to have urinary tract infections or develop infections that require treatment in our pregnancy or postpartum, and birth control pills, which change our gut microbiome. Perhaps this is yet another important clue into the origins of increased risk of autoimmunity in women compared to men. In my medical practice, attention to the gut microbiome and leaky gut as well plays central roles in my approach to all my patients as prevention, but especially in my patients with autoimmune conditions, something I talk about at length in my book, The Adrenal Thyroid Revolution, and which I give a significant attention to in my online program, The 28-Day Gut Reset, which I offer once or twice a year. Women autoimmune diseases and diagnostic delays is such a significant issue. And given that autoimmune diseases are such a common diagnosis amongst women, why is it that the medical system has such trouble diagnosing them? There are a few factors that are so important to be aware of, and I really just can't drive these home enough. One is that doctors don't get enough education on autoimmune disease. According to a different survey by the Autoimmune Association, nearly two-thirds of family physicians say they felt uncomfortable or stressed when diagnosing an autoimmune disease. Almost three-quarters said that the education they'd received on autoimmune diseases in their medical training had been inadequate, and 60% reported they'd gotten only one or two lectures on the topic in medical school. This is important. You might be thinking, well, I'm going to see a different doctor than a family physician. Well, OB-GYNs 
internal medicine physicians, et cetera, don't get any more training. And family physicians and internal medicine doctors are the ones most likely to see you for the types of symptoms that you present with that may be harbingers or suggestive of an autoimmune condition. So if they don't recognize them and are uncomfortable addressing them, they may not make a diagnosis, which is absolutely within the wheelhouse of internal medicine and family doctors. I treat tons of patients with autoimmune conditions as a family physician. And also they're less likely to refer you if they don't recognize that that's what's going on. You'd need to be referred usually to a rheumatologist if your primary care provider, like your internal medicine doctor or your family medicine doctor, your nurse practitioner, et cetera, et cetera, doesn't handle them directly. Another factor is that autoimmune diseases tend to affect multiple different body systems, and our medical system is very fragmented. Since many autoimmune conditions are systemic and many people have more than one, your symptoms may affect a lot of different organs and symptoms in the body. Because there's no medical specialty called autoimmunology, it may be hard to even figure out what type of doctor to see a rheumatologist for joint pain, a dermatologist for the rash that you might have if you have an autoimmune condition, a neurologist for headaches. And those specialists will tend to focus on the symptoms in their area of expertise and might not see the bigger picture of all of your symptoms together, which when you think of them as a whole, may point to the autoimmune condition workup that's needed. Another really big factor is that the symptoms of autoimmune conditions are often quite subjective. They cause symptoms like pain and fatigue that are common to many conditions and can't be objectively measured. In addition, autoimmune systems may wax and wane, complicating the picture even more. Adding to this is sexism. Thanks, if you will, to the long history of gender bias in medicine, it's especially common for these kinds of subjective symptoms to be dismissed or minimized in women. In fact, despite the fact that most autoimmune diseases affect women more than men, there's evidence that it often takes women with an autoimmune disease far longer to get diagnosed compared to our male counterparts. For example, one study of patients with rheumatoid arthritis found that women were referred to a rheumatologist in 10 weeks compared to just three weeks for men. And another survey found that women were diagnosed with Crohn's disease in 20 months compared to 12 for men. For more on medical gender bias, please, please read my books, Hormone Intelligence and Adrenal Thyroid Revolution, and check out my podcasts, How to Protect Yourself Against Medical Gender Bias, and Eight Medical Myths That Keep Women from Getting Proper Diagnosis and Treatment. So if you do think you might have symptoms of an autoimmune condition, what are some tips for getting diagnosed? Well, one, it's really important to know your family's medical history. Autoimmune diseases tend to run in families. So if you have a relative with an autoimmune disease, you could become more susceptible to developing one yourself. Just for example, I saw a patient recently who is struggling with some symptoms that made me ask her more deeply about her family history, including why she thinks her three sisters might all have thyroid problems and joint pain. And I asked her about her mom, who also has these symptoms. And she said, oh, my mom has celiac disease. 
Celiac disease is an autoimmune condition where you can't tolerate gluten. And many people who have celiac disease not only develop thyroid problems and thyroid autoimmunity, but joint pain and other autoimmune conditions. Note that autoimmunity is a tendency that runs in families, not just a particular autoimmune disease. So if one family member may have lupus, another may have Sjogren's, and another may have rheumatoid arthritis. So be sure to understand what diseases are autoimmune diseases and share that information with your doctor. And if you do have an autoimmune condition, always ask for a workup, at least labs, for celiac disease, because celiac disease is one of those autoimmune conditions that even though it's not that common, it's especially likely to be one of those miseries that loves company. Often women who have celiac, as I mentioned, do develop thyroiditis, for example, like Hashimoto's or Graves' disease. And in fact, my patient whose sisters have autoimmune thyroid problems, two of them have thyroiditis, that's Hashimoto's, and one has Graves'. Another important thing to do is keep a list of your symptoms. People with autoimmune diseases often suffer from many seemingly unrelated symptoms. And as I mentioned, those symptoms often wax and wane. So one week you might have lower back pain and another week you might have pain in your wrists and another week you may have a strange rash. So taken all separately, you may be thinking, what on earth is going on with me? But when you keep that list over weeks and months, it may start to kind of create a symptom picture and keep records and be sure to tell your doctor or your care provider about all of these major symptoms even if they seem unrelated and even minor symptoms, like you might develop a rash that just comes out of nowhere and goes away and you don't think twice about it. And then maybe it happens a year later and a year later, and now you're having joint pain or now you're having other symptoms. And when you put it together, it forms a picture. Whereas if you had just kind of dismissed it as, oh, that happened a year ago, or that only happened twice, you might not get the full picture. It's really important to ask around in your community to find recommendations for a medical provider who's a good diagnostician. And as I mentioned, unfortunately, there isn't a specialty for autoimmunology. So an internist or primary care doctor might be the best place to start or a nurse practitioner. Or consider seeing a specialist in a specialty that deals with your most concerning symptoms. So if you have primarily joint pain, see a rheumatologist, but let them know about your rash and your headaches and your digestive symptoms, for example. A lot of people are very critical of online groups, like chat groups for medical conditions and symptoms. And a lot of doctors are very dismissive and say, oh, where did you get your information, Dr. Google? Or are you part of some online chat group? But online chat groups can be also very, very helpful ways. You have to take some of the information with a grain of salt and know who's giving the information and the recommendations. But you can often find people who live in your city who can also be phenomenal resources for giving recommendations for who might be those good diagnosticians who are ideally also really compassionate and concerned medical providers who tend to listen to and believe women. When you do have a provider you can trust, or even if you're just going to your PCP, get a, who I hope you can trust, get a thorough examination, including lab tests. An autoimmune condition is usually diagnosed through a careful analysis of laboratory tests combined with a patient examination and your medical history. Because autoimmune disease is just beginning to be recognized as the epidemic it is, 
Many doctors don't think to test for autoimmune diseases initially. And keep in mind that diagnostic tests can be uncertain. For example, rheumatoid factor and anti-CCP are two tests used to diagnose rheumatoid arthritis. While the majority of people with rheumatoid arthritis test positive on one or both of these tests, about 20% continue to test negative. Similarly, celiac disease, you can test for antibodies and genes, but about 50% of the people who have celiac disease still test negative on those antibody tests. And if a doctor doesn't take your symptoms seriously, brushes you off as telling you you have just stress or refers you to a psychologist, find another doctor. And never, ever be afraid to speak up for yourself. Your health may depend on it. For more tips on speaking up and communicating with your primary care provider, especially if they're gaslighting you, please check out my podcast, Medical Gaslighting, what you can do to advocate for yourself and how to talk to your doctor and get the health care you need. And if you're still not sure what the symptoms of an autoimmune condition are, if you're not sure what tests to get, please head over to my website, avivaram.com for more information. I have so many free blogs, so many podcasts for you. And also my book, The Adrenal Thyroid Revolution, is not just about adrenals and thyroid. It's about women being seen and heard. It's about advocating for yourself. And it's about understanding, preventing, and addressing autoimmune conditions from an integrative perspective, as well as knowing what labs to ask for and how to get the care that you need and you so deserve. See you next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode, that it helped you to feel seen and heard, and perhaps that it even brought you some aha moments. Please share the love by sharing this with a friend or someone in your life who could benefit from the kinds of things we talk about in this space. Also, make sure to follow me on Instagram at dr.avivaram and go to avivaram.com to join the conversation about the show on my blog. While you're there, you can sign up for my free newsletter with tips on taking back your health. Be sure to leave a rating and a review for the podcast and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every week. Can't wait to see you next time.